0: Broadcasting from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village, you're listening to The Incubator, the voice of the Atlanta Tech startup scene. The Incubator is a show featuring weekly interviews with Atlanta-based startup founders, influencers, and entrepreneurs, who they are, what drives them, and how they plan to change the world. Today's show is made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. And now, here are your hosts, Trisha Whitlock and Todd Schnick. Good morning and welcome back to The Incubator. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Trisha Whitlock. Good morning, my friend. This promises to be an entertaining conversation.
1: I'm definitely excited. Anna Ruth's one of my favorite chicks in the startup scene. Nice yeah. i so can be here.
0: Well, let's get to it. We're joined by Anna Ruth, the founder and CEO of ARPR. Anna, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, guys. And Trish is is, is my favorite female chick. Oh my so. gosh. I just, like I step know.
0: aside not yeah. participate in this You com-
2: can leave. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I didn't think she'd actually say that. But, uh, I'll take it from here. So that wraps our conversation with Anna Ruth now. So before we get into our conversation, Anna, do take a few quick seconds and inform the audience a bit about you and your background.
2: Absolutely. So I... I founded ARPR, be three years ago, actually this week. So we're going to, yeah, we'll be celebrating some, some, our third year. It's a, it's a milestone, as you know, about 90% of, of companies don't make it to their third year. So we're pretty proud, particularly in our industry, which is public relations. And so we provide public relations, marketing, integrated communication services to technology companies from early stage all the way to, to the enterprise. We take an integrated 360. Degree approach. So a lot of old school PR agencies might just do press and help you get in magazines, but we believe today in order to hashtag make news which is our tagline that you must take an integrated approach and look at and look at marketing um, holistically instead of in silos so we integrate social media and content marketing and analyst relations and media relations um, and we are based here in Atlanta uh, right now we're in at Atlanta Tech Village we are moving to Tech Square and we also have an office in New Orleans
0: oh I want to go there yeah me too
1: <laughs> I just came back so I'm ready to take a break from New Orleans so you're hungover and sober up.
0: <laughs> do you have any recollection of the trip?
1: Actually, I didn't drink too much, but I did do my, a good bit of dancing. So. Yeah, I broadcast
0: days. a lot of live radio from uh, from New York Convention Center there, and and uh, I. Everything I do, I piece together from, receipts from the
1: receipts. So. <laughs> it's like when you get your Uber receipt and you realize that you were driving home at like five in the morning. You're like, oh, that's when I went home. Perfect. But at least I got there safely. Uh, well, you make it sound so easy, but you guys are really killing it. I mean, I think you won business person of the year from TAG. Anna Ruth PR or ARPR has been just swallowing up all of the different awards around town. So you guys are definitely doing something different. So what really differentiates you between the traditional PR firm and what you all do? And then how does that kind of translate into your understanding of how technology companies work? Mm -hmm. So... First, thank you. And we we have been um, extremely successful
2: um, in a short amount of time. Today, we're a team of of 14. Each month we work with about 15 different technology companies. Um, And of course, that continues to grow month over month. What I say uh, to folks is, when I started, Atlanta didn't need another PR firm, right? We didn't need another PR firm. We don't need another commercial real estate agent. We don't need another recruiter, right? Yeah, we're we're chock full of all of those. But we did need a PR firm that did things differently. And if we didn't, we... You know, ARPR wouldn't have been as successful as it is. And the reason it needed something, a a different type of agency, is a few reasons. One, PR is broken today. The industry experiences a 59% employee turnover every year. It's incredibly high. And the average agency client tenure used to be eight years, it is now down to less than three. So to me, that says PR is ripe for disruption. You couple that, you know, the fact that the business itself is, is broken and you have millennials coming into the workplace and these old school agencies doesn't work for them. Couple that with the revolution that's happening in media. This is a perfect example right now. Hype is a digital news outlet. We're doing a podcast, right? And newsrooms are devolving into digital newsrooms. They're accepting more content. They're writing shorter, more frequent stories. And they're using social media as distribution points as well as part of their monetization strategy. So the way in which a company makes news is no longer you send an email to a reporter or you put out a press release and you're going to get the, whatever stories you want and at the end of the day everybody pat yourself on the back it's very different it must be tackled through an integrated approach and we get that we are somewhat millennial centric I mean our team skews younger we've all come of age and watched the media environment transform and so it's very natural um, and it's very much a part of, of, of what we do every day so that's what really makes our agency different in addition to the fact that we have a super cool culture I want people to actually want to come to work today and not come in dreading how many hours they have to build. So that means employees are happy, which means our clients are happy and everyone stays around longer. So we focus on tech to answer the second part of your question. That's another differentiator for us. We just work with tech. If you own a restaurant, please do not come to me. I want to eat your food, but I don't want to represent you. Nothing against that. But in order to truly serve the tech industry, you must focus in it. And here's why. The tech industry faces so many different challenges and objectives that other industries don't for example, companies were always thinking about their exit strategy. They are always looking to increase their valuation. They have different audiences at different times. For example, in the very beginning stages, one of their key audiences is investors. That might not be their key audience after they close their A round and are in general availability. At that point, their key audience is then recruiting engineers and prospects. And so, you need an agency that actually understands the tech business environment if they are truly going to help you go to market and be successful. And so that is what we focus in and specialize in. That's really the value we bring to our clients is we understand their business and how we put marketing to work.
0: I imagine if you asked 10 people to define an integrated approach, you'd get 10 different answers. And sure. I think that's part of the problem in the marketplace. How does Anna Ruth, the define integrated approach, talk us through how that actually works? Yeah.
2: And if you go to our website, airpr.co, there's this beautiful graphic and It's interactive and you can hover your mouse over it. And so I'm going to walk you through that. You start with good messaging and content. That's number one. And so foundational corporate messaging is absolutely key. You take that and you bring that to life through content. How many types of content are there? Well, there's six primary ones. But we're talking about everything here from case studies to white papers to eBooks to webinars. Good content. Then you distribute that through digital channels, e-newsletters, social media channels. You know, and, and now those are even taking shape, right? Like LinkedIn Publishing Platform is really a blog, but it's on LinkedIn, right? So see how the lines get blurry? Um, so you distribute good content through a myriad of social channels. Social media today is just as important as driving inbound leads. And as it is driving inbound reporter queries. For every story a reporter writes, they are going to three social media channels for sort as a source. So that's why we really want to proliferate thought leadership and good content out um, onto the web. So then that drives media coverage. Um, media also will run good content. Um, so they'll pick up on content, they'll look to you to become a source. It helps us get more interview opportunities and land placements. So now we have. Content that's driving leads. We have social that's that's really dominating the conversation. We have media coverage um, that's starting to pour in, and that helps us get more awards, speaking opportunities, um, favorable analyst um, coverage. So that's really where that industry credibility piece comes in, and that those four things then lead into an increase in legion sales, recruitment, and capital raise. So that's. Helping So all that drives those business objectives, which gives us then more content to work with because the company's growing and getting more results, which gives us more content and messaging. And then the whole thing starts over again. Content distributed, land placements, get industry leadership, drive more sales. and So that's kind of how we see this this 360 approach going.
1: So really getting into the grassroots of it, I mean, I get pitched on by startups, multiple startups every day, right? So for me to choose who I think stories resonates the most or who's going to make really for the best piece of content that will have the largest audience, you know, it was really based on that email, which sometimes actually from ARPR, right? Telling the story. So for a startup that maybe isn't in a position yet that they're looking for a full a full-on firm and they're writing their own About Us page and they're kind of pitching their idea around other people. What is the best way for a startup to focus on storytelling? What are kind of like the things to go away from, like jargon and things like that? Um, And what's the best way to kind of focus that messaging? Hmm. Those are, uh, we could do a whole podcast just on that. Always start with good messaging.
2: And as you just, you know, one thing you said is so true. Avoid jargoning. Look, you're not game changing and you're not innovative. I mean, it's like, please quit using those words. Customer centric. Um, yeah, right. Like, pl- please, please devoid buzzwords from your messaging as much as possible. Be authentic. When, and, and and your messaging should align with the voice of your company, right? So the, the tone in which Wella, uh, whose office we're sitting in right now, the, the tone in which their content is written is going to be completely different different than the tone of, of Yik Yaks, right? So number one, really go through a good core messaging. In telling the story, um, to answer that part of your question, my favorite tip is when you're sending someone like yourself a pitch, yes, talk about your company, but how are you wrapping that into something broader? So in peer school, they tell you that news must be timely, local, odd or unusual, right? Have <laughs> right. a human interest element. So what are all those different elements that's actually, that makes you interesting? What are the market trends? What's your end user going to gain from this. So don't just talk about the needs, beats, and feeds your product, but but really talk about the entire story, how you are improving a market or a person's life or a business.
1: I think really understanding who you're talking to is super important. Like I will get somebody from New York that contacts us that doesn't have any kind of Atlantic connection. And obviously, Hypotamus is solely focused in Georgia. So really, it's an email that was a waste of their time to send if there's not a strong Atlantic connection. But then I'll get an email from somebody who, you know, is maybe in Tennessee, but they went to school here and they have family here and their first customers are in Atlanta. So they know to kind of make that connection. And then at that point, I'm like, sure, we'd love to cover you. Why the hell not? Right. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, so I think really realizing who your audience is, but that's got to be a ton of research. Yeah, it's tailored. You know, you'll never take their relationships
2: out of public relations. And there have been some companies that are trying to automate public relations. But right, there's a software automation tool that can tailor a pitch to Trish that says, I graduated from Georgia Tech and the, right, that was a pitch that just went to you and maybe one or two other reporters in Atlanta. So that really has to be built on research and, and and customization.
1: So do you all really do like a profile on all the different writers and editors? Like how do you kind of keep track of who's doing what? Yeah, so we have, you know, uh, very expensive uh,
2: media software that we pull and there is a good bit of information within that. But then of course we build and we have our own Rolodexes and markets across the country. I mean, not just Atlanta, obviously we've worked and from Boston to San Francisco and everywhere in between. So, um, and then of course on the national level as well. So, uh, but yeah, before we would sit down and do kind of a custom bit blitz, we obviously would do research who recently wrote about this topic or something synergistic or wrote about a or wrote about something controversial. You know, wrote about something that we have a controversial opinion on. And so I'm going to pitch you a whole different angle to the story. So yes, there is that that upfront kind of strategy involved in identifying
0: right fit reporters. All right. Anna, Tricia, and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Wella is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A dot all right, we're back with Anna Ruth, founder and CEO of ARPR, uh, and I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, Trisha touched on the, the, a lousy pitch she got. As the publisher of My Media Network, I get dozens of emails every day, and most of these pitches are horrendous. It, uh, it cut, copied, and pasted mm-hmm. in different fonts for my name. And this, I mean, <laughs> I wonder if I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but someone who's listening, who who unfortunately hasn't partnered with someone like ARPR. Could share a couple of uh, bits of advice and counsel to an organization who's pitching someone. What 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 are two or three things they should do to to increase the likelihood that that pitch is going to get seen and and heard?
2: Good subject line. I I don't know if that's how you sometimes decide what to open or not, but if your subject line is introducing a new app that will save you time and money, you probably are going to just delete, not open it, right? But if it said, you know, if someone sent an email to Trish that said, New Atlanta app focuses, to change the way, blah blah blah. Okay, they've put Atlanta in the headline. They're teased a little bit what's going to do. Uh, so good, uh, good subject line. And um, and then as we talked about before researching. So addressing the reporter by the correct first name and do your point. Simple thing. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> please. Or
0: dear schnick Todd. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that one. That's an automatic deal. <laughs> um,
2: you know, uh, and then down the little things, sometimes I'll, you know, we'll I encourage my team to go on LinkedIn. Did you go to college with them? You know, are they, are you guys both alumni or do you, who do you know in common? You know, so down to those little things or, Hey, I saw you send a tweet about such and such. So always find something we had a With someone the other day and they tied in a Harry Potter reference into a pitch because they knew that they knew that editor like had an obsession with Harry Potter because they Twitter stalked her and totally worked. Treat the reporter as someone that you'd want to be friends with. I mean, that's how I've that's how I've always approached PR. Like, everyone's pretty likable and everyone wants to like you. If they don't like you, they're not gonna cover you. So be likable, be real, don't be a total flack. And then approach the, the pitch short, concise, tell a whole story, tease a couple of the specific bullets that that about your product that you want covered give you two they're sitting here a full story to work with something something interesting and unusual no one's just going to write a puff piece because you think that it deserves a puff piece you got to give them something a little more
1: interesting something meaty yeah you know
0: but the point there is it's not rocket science no just care a little bit and that's really yeah. the key thing
1: it's time consuming though it's a lot of effort but it's, so it's worth it so it's though. A, oh yeah for sure but they're lucky to have someone like you who understands well that's the other solution. exactly where it's just hiring anna, just hire anna. Yeah. <laughs> so my question and that, that kind of brings to the next thing is i know for a lot of startups obviously especially if you're bootstrapped money is everything right money and time is a lot so where do you kind of see that perfect sweet spot of okay it's time for us to put our our PR in somebody else's hands versus kind of doing it on your own in the very beginning. Yep. What do you find being the best timing for a company to start considering something like a PR firm to help them with their messaging? Yep, that's a great question. I actually wrote an article for Hypotamus. It's been
2: several months ago now, but, but it's exact, click on it. It's, well. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> it's exactly on this. I think it's a the guide for startups with a fear of commitment or something. So, anyway. It's super
1: cute. It's all about relationships and it makes yeah. always fantastic Yeah, uh, because you should have a
2: relationship with your PR firm, much like a relationship, you know, the guy's got to take the gal to dinner and that costs a lot of money. So it's always economics. And I will say, you know, m- firms, their hourly rates are going to be 125 to 450. I mean, it completely depends if you're using an independent contractor or a global agency. Typically a company that can afford a retainer is going to be like series A level. You know, they're going to have at least two mil, they're going to be doing revenue generation, whatever. So that's really company at that point has a marketing budget and says, yes, I'm going to make a 30 to 50 K investment this year in PR. But that as you said does not work for bootstrap companies and and I really learned this as I was starting my company and and I was working with a lot of really young bootstrap startups that thought actually that they needed these robust PR things. Oh, my key to success is going to be this humongous PR campaign. Well, really the key to success was that point is customer discovery and baking your product. That you That's what you really need. Um, and don't do any PR until your IP is secured, by the way. You, you have to be the first to file, not the first to market anymore. So don't even call a PR firm or, or market yourself until you've done that. So for those early companies, what I learned was they need help making announcements and leveraging some key things, but they do not have the the time, the focus, or the money to invest in a retainer. So, I wanted to cater that because we have startup packages, and they're one time, they're low cost. It's serviced quickly, flat fee. We help companies that need to make an announcement, like, "Hey, I just had a successful beta," or "Hey, I just got my first customer, paying customer," or "Hey, I just got five hundred thousand in seed funding." So I can't afford a retainer, but I want to get this in the Business Chronicle and in Hypodamus and I need a press release on this. And so that's what those packages do: is they allow startups to. We say you don't have to DIY; your PR alone. We'll give you professional media lists. We'll give you a professional consultation. We'll give you a professional press release and distribute it for you. That's the solution, my best solution for the problem that you identified, which is these companies need some help, but it's cash-strapped.
0: What are the questions a tech company should ask a potential PR partner? To be sure they get the right fit. That's awesome. Uh,
2: no, what industries do you serve? Right. So, if you're a health IT company, you need to go to a firm that understands what meaningful use is and what an EHR stands for. Yeah, and CD10 an you know, and all that I, I
0: stuff. Just,
2: thank you. So, so that's very important too. If don't if you are a vodka company, then you should go to a company, a firm that does a lot of food and beverage and lifestyle entertainment work. Right. You should also ask them, you know, about the specialties. What what branches of the marketing tree do you cover? Because um, if you're paying someone $4,000 a month just to do press, I mean, to me, they, <laughs> that's kind of, you need them to be able to have expertise cross-functionally. So in social, in content, and analyst relations and so forth. Um, so those are those are some of the initial questions. Um, ask, them, ask them how they structure their engagements. Would I just have one person on my account? Would I have three people on my account? Am I going to have someone senior level? Or, you know, if I'm your smallest retainer, does that mean The interns writing my tweets? Like, I don't think so. Ask all those questions to make sure you're going to be serviced well, but that the firm also has expertise in your industry, because that means that they'll also have the relationships that go along with it and the background knowledge to quickly learn about your business. Oh, another super important question Do you represent another company that would be a competitor of mine? So many firms, I'm shocked they don't adhere to the PRSA code of ethics. So here's, let me. Let me give you an example. If Todd, you are a headphone manufacturing company and Trish works for Beats, okay? You're both my client. Mashville comes to me and says, hey, we're doing a story on the top headphone manufacturers. Uh, what do you got for us? Now I am in an ethical quandary about do I send Trish or do I send Todd? Well I know where I'm gonna fall that decision making. Right. Mentions. I know. Trish is cuter. (laughs) So so that, right, you don't want your firm to ever be in the middle of choosing one client over another. So do make sure that there is no conflict of interest and get that in your contract.
1: So I have a quick question. You sent me an email recently about kind of like the pink ghetto, it was called, of social media, right? Which is very, very interesting. And tech in the tech world is heavily driven by... Caucasian males between I would say 25 and like 44 right but then there's this whole layer of women that are either in the organizational side of things or they're more on the PR and media side of things so how do you find a balance with your own organization uh, between male and female and what's your perspective on kind of this pink ghetto as they call of social media yeah that
2: article was awesome for anyone listening google that so in medium
1: medium? Uh, yeah I want to say it's medium Uh, but
2: it's, it's really a challenge. I'll talk specifically about my industry, which I know the best. In PR, 75% of our industry is female, right? That's, that's We all know you think PR firm, you think cute chicks walking around, right? 85% of agency management is male. So you have this gridlock of men at the top and women at the bottom. Much like education, you have male principals and female teachers or in medicine, you have, you know, it's beginning to change, but male doctors, female nurses underneath, right? And I think in PR, in men and women, you know, countless behavioral studies show we think very differently and you need both brains at a table um, you need both people in a dialogue unfortunately I don't think our PR education programs and higher ed do a good job recruiting men so I'm gonna I'm gonna put the blame on them first and then I think in agencies we don't we have not done a good job uh, going back to earlier I said how broken they are we don't do a good job of integrating genders and trying to diversify and it's it's hard you know I would love to hire more men we have one male we joke with him that if he needs some mail time just go talk Talk to our clients because they're all men because we service the tech industry. So that's also very unique when we typically, I'm the only chick at the, you know, in the conference table um, because we, our clients are men. I do want a diverse agency and the the problem is the talent pool skews heavily female in our industry. Um, But... In tech PR specifically, it's not your typical trick fail. Like we, we aren't representing, you know, lipstick brands and 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 toys and restaurants. Like we're marketing technology companies that have very complex business problems and have very technical solutions. And so it's actually this, uh, the subject matter we work with today is anything but girly. Twenty uh, percent of the tech industry is, is female, so we work in a in a in a in a male industry, but um, but. It's still, we're a predominantly female PR agency because the talent pool is, is still that way. And and I, you know, I'd like to say our education institutions do a bit better job. You talked. that's the, my soapbox.
0: You talked at the top of the show about how you work at all stages of the process from early stage to enterprise, I think you said. Uh, I worry that a lot of tech companies are going to go out and buy that Tech PR for Dummies book and follow the model for all these different stages. Talk through how that evolution works and how they have to be very strategic about how different the sta- each stage is and how the approach becomes very different. I mean, you, you shared an integrated approach model that I think c- can work. Along all these stages, but there's nuances to it.
2: For example, if a company in an earlier stage say say they say they just raised their A round and then they know they're going to be going out for their B round in 12 months, but for the next you know for, so for the next year they really need to go to market strong. They really need to position themselves as a the dominant player to increase that valuation for their B round, and they need to hire some engineers. Those are the challenges that they're going to be facing at that particular that tech company at that stage faces. So the PR plan we put together would be tailored for that. For example, they need to win awards that show credibility of their product, that they are a disruptor, that they are innovative. That's a great way to, to get credibility and help evaluation and help ward off competitors. Uh, building thought leadership um, through speaking engagements for the CEO or the CTO, you know, whoever the figurehead is, that's important in that phase. Those key analyst relationships, you know, if a company is the first and the only to market. They might not always be the only, but they can always be the first. And so we really need to kind of own that in terms of conversation and making them appear as the dominant player and the thought leader in the space and the subject matter expert and that they have that they are winning the customer race faster than anyone else. So case studies on first customers using customer logos in, in big bold ways. That also means in their customer contracts they need to have clauses in there that they can that they can use that company in marketing efforts and if they need to negotiate on price point trust me it's totally worth negotiating on price point to get to use your customers logo. So for an early stage company those are a few of the tri- in the bag that we would use to help them with the business challenges they have at that moment. Now, for a more enterprise company, they are a bit more mature. Their product might be a bit more well-known, but perhaps they are wanting to be acquired. So at that point, the the business objectives and the PR strategies that we align there are slightly different. Or, for example, one of our companies, they're publicly traded, they grow by acquisition. So one of the strategies they need is integrating new brands into their product portfolio because that's how they grow. But again, we look at each phase through this integrated communication communications lens. It's just that the mix of what pieces you use is different based on the business objectives of the life cycle.
0: Does that help? Absolutely.
1: I should be taking more notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are um, recording this. Yeah, that's
1: it. I'll, I'll listen back real slow. So now I'm curious about you, right? I mean, you're a young woman. You've become very successful. You've now had this business for three years. Kind of what got you to the point that you were interested in PR and that started to chase that? What was your, what's kind of your story of how you got involved in this? I have a non-traditional path. I
2: am a recovering political press secretary. Uh, so oh, that means- Oh, we've got to talk. Oh, so that, I have some good story. I've only worked for one person that was arrested by the FBI, um, so that's
0: probably. I was good. sued by Al Gore. So we'll that's have to. Talk.
2: Really? Oh, yeah. Wow! Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. That sounds spicy. <laughs> we need oh, some yeah. beers, Todd. Yeah, um, so, so I was a press secretary, which means basically I spent seven years of my life doing major event planning and crisis communications, basically. So that was a great place to cut my teeth. During that time, um, this was kind of recession days, so the political rhetoric was all around creating high tech, high wage jobs of the future. And this is when I started doing messaging around tech and when I when I toured my uh, toured my first incubator and I met with my first angel investors and had press conferences with them. And I was doing all this messaging about economic revival and everyone was, was saying technology is going to be the driver of that. So that was interesting. And then after 2010, I decided I didn't want to do politics anymore. I was ready to move to the private sector. So I went to a PR agency and as the universe uh, evolves, I had two global B2B tech brands fall in my lap. Uh, one of them was one of the world's largest data center providers and the other one was a battery, uh, lithium battery pack manufacturer of which all these internet connected devices sitting in front of me on our tables right now probably have their batteries inside of them. So that was super cool. I thought I loved working with companies that sold to the enterprise. Um, I loved B2B tech. It all made sense to me. And I said, well... I could go out, I could do this on my own um, and be more profitable and do it better. Going back to how agency is broken, I saw a lot of ways in which I thought agency could be improved. And I wanted to serve younger companies, not, not just enterprise. So. That's
1: a pretty big leap to take. I know there's lots of folks that will are kind of like weekend warriors or evening warriors on their startup or on their small business. So deciding to really leave that full-time job and to go whole hog at doing something on your own is a huge decision to make. So what was the factors in that? were you saving up for a year beforehand or, no you know? <laughs> <laughs> are you living in your car for a little while uh, like you know how close
2: long- I was very close Trish like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you always have a place on my couch I had a lot of
2: Taco Bell <laughs> no um, <laughs> you know what there's never a good time to go on there's just not there's n- I don't care how much you plan and how much you have saved and how well thought out your, your freaking excel sheets are there's never a good time everything's gonna get destroyed don't even make a business plan set goals like and. and and I, I call it, you look at the mountain in front of you and you say, all right, that's my mountain. I'm going to get to the top of that mountain. I've never climbed it before. When I get up there, I will see what's ahead of me. And then you just see what the next one is and the next one is and the next one is. And you get stronger as you go over each one of them. But no, I mean, I, I, literally, I literally woke up. I put together a pipeline of people that, you know, my hire me, I put together a 90 day budget of of what I needed just, just to get through a quarter. And I put together a marketing deck and the ugliest logo you've ever seen. (laughs) I now have, I now have designers. Uh, and I, I went and asked my mom for my wedding fund and I was like, "Eh, it's not, you know, my prospects aren't looking too good. I'll just take that cash now and, you know, See, see see what I can make of it. So anyway, that was three years ago that the loan that I got from my family would barely covered like a quarter of my payroll today. So, um, there's never a good time and you have to put yourself out there even though it's scary as hell and and can feel uncomfortable. Um, and I, I don't look back. I do think it takes a certain kind of person. Um, it's very much my nature and my nurture collided to, 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 um, to, to what I, you know, I really do think I was meant to do. And you have to like you have to like being in business. I loved being a PR practitioner. I still love doing PR. I like when I get to do client work, but I also found that I loved building a business and I love having a team and creating jobs. Um, if I didn't do that, I'd probably just be an independent freelancer, you know, but because I decided that I loved that and that's when I really put my head down and said, I'm going to build a business and and all the financial
0: risks that come along with it. But You get desensitized As they say, as you climb that mountain of success, the peak keeps getting taller and taller.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on like floor three of a 10-story building. I mean, what's next for us um, is we're going to continue to grow this business. And we are going to um, have an incredible asset because we only want to work with the the best technology companies and we want to hire the best talent. And uh, we want to change the way PR agencies are run. And we want to, you know, really at our core is supporting economic development by serving the technology tech industry, telling those stories and helping them go to market.
0: Well, Trish, as you always say, so far so good. So, one last quick question before we have to go to our Wella question of the week. Um, you obviously have your finger on the pulse of the Atlanta tech scene um, as we are roaring into 2016. Uh, anything we should be paying attention to the next uh, 12 to 18 months? You know
2: what I think is going to be fascinating, and I—I I, I am self-projecting a little bit here, just because we're—I've been in commercial real estate as we move offices, so I've been, you know, doing a lot of of, of digging. Um, there's going to be a proliferation of more technology hubs like the one we're sitting in today, ATV. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if more tech companies come out of the woodwork because they actually have a place to go and how these synergistic environments, when we have a physical facility that puts a bunch of brains and talents in the same, diversified talents too, in the same building, what that ends up cooking up and how that ends up spurring our industry. And, And they're also several of them are becoming a bit focused so yards is B2C right um, there's there, there's some other places they're going to have more niche industry focuses I'm very interested and curious to see how that ends up shaping our tech community but there's an absolute proliferation I mean WeWork's coming in down the street whoever thought Buckhead would be disrupted by kids on skateboards and skinny jeans you know like rolling around a Chipotle at lunch <laughs> like it's crazy how it's changing our city so I think that's going to be really really interesting and I I do think it will take 18 months. I know there's a, a cool new space. It'll be in Atlantic Station that probably won't be live for 18 months. But I think we'll look back in a few years and what are considered office you know, office regions in our, in our city are going to have been disrupted by some sort of tech hub. And then the jobs and the innovations that spawn from that will be
0: yeah. cool. And Trish, I think you'd agree. I think that it's going to yield some positive fruit and some really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it'll definitely start to drop down the prices because it will be so competitive, which I'm hoping will help even more early stage folks decide that they want to come out of their basements um, and, and kind of be around other folks that are doing something similar. I really hope that there is a fail faster kind of mentality that starts in Atlanta that we haven't really seen because it's so easy to bootstrap here. It's very easy to survive for a long time with a somewhat shitty idea. I'm I'm hoping that that kind of, that ends that way that really talented people, instead of wasting their time on maybe not the best idea, can start to really rally around together to create something amazing that comes out of the city. But it's just, it's crazy to see. I mean, when the hypopotamus was a physical space three years ago, it was us, Strongbox West, and Nex, and which were all relatively small spaces. Um, So to see that now now there's like, like almost 20 or 30 co-working spaces around town and that they're not starting that they're not just a little bit here and a little bit there but it's very much like you said like all right, we're doing consumer downtown and we're doing social enterprise downtown and we've got high scalable high tech scalable startups in midtown so it's exciting to see what that's going to lend itself and if there is another bubble who is going to survive that burst so I'm and hopefully hype will be something that does survive <laughs> oh, I yeah.
0: think it's going to do just fine so so, uh, and I know you're aware of the fact that Wella makes this all possible. And so it's time for the Wella question of the week. So let me ask you, what is the best financial advice you have ever received?
2: Best financial advice? Seriously, Todd, because um, you're asking a communications major. Uh, I don't have an MBA. Uh, but um, it was probably from my stepdad when I started my business um, to always be, always make conservative projections um, uh, on everything except business development. He always said what would always be liberal in what you need on business development. He had been the managing partner and he started an investment firm. So I always took his, I was still do take his advice to heart. But every time I do make a projection, it's very, very conservative, in which case I'm usually pleased and proud of myself because I don't get myself in a bind that way. So uh, I'm not sure if that's what you wanted to hear.
0: No, but no, 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 no. That's, that's good that advice. It's I- quite brilliant. All right. Well, Anna, before we let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions? Where can they learn more about ARPR?
2: Yeah, ARPR.co uh, is our website. I mentioned starter packages earlier. You can view them and actually buy them on the website. And then you can also learn more about our traditional retainers and all of our great client work. I personally am on Twitter at Anna Ruth. And AR. PR is on Twitter, AR underscore, underscore PR.
0: Anna Ruth, the founder and CEO of ARPR. Great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, by. guys. It was awesome. All right. Well, on behalf of our guest, Anna Ruth, my co-host, Trisha Whitlock, I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week on The Incubator.
1: You've been listening to
2: The Incubator, recorded from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village. This broadcast is a partnership between the Intrepid Now Media Network and hypopotamus and made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. The Incubator is directed by Andrea Risk and produced by Floyd Fischel. You can find The Incubator on iTunes and leaving a rating and review on iTunes will be appreciated by all. Again, you've been listening to The Incubator. The
1: show will return next week. We'll see you then.